I woke up this morning and I just had this heaviness on my chest and it feels like I'm being suffocated. I know I had a nightmare last night, but I honestly don't know what it was even about. I've taken my anxiety medication. I played some soothing music, did some of the different games that I have downloaded in my phone that are meant to help you relax. I did so many different things to try to help and ground myself, but I just cannot shake this feeling. This is not something new for me. In fact, it's something that I feel quite often. It isn't exactly a panic attack, but it feels like one may just be around the corner. And I don't even know why. I just know that I can't breathe and I feel frozen. The last episode was a very difficult one for me to make because I feel very vulnerable about the things that I had said. They definitely were not topics that I have talking about before, but I am proud that I was able to get through it. And I think that we have to keep trying to do things that maybe we don't feel comfortable doing at first because maybe in the end we'll feel proud about it and it could always help someone. Our stories and our experiences in life can help to reach someone that may feel like they're going through it all alone. And I think that's one of the main reasons why I started this podcast and why I enjoy doing it so much. I wanted to have a place to call my own, and I definitely have found that here. Working on this particular episode has been hard because, like in the previous one about my criminal background, This one does carry a great deal of shame as well. And I'll be honest, I have written out half the episode and deleted it about 20 to 30 times now because I don't know how to say the things that I want to say. And I know that it is an important message that I need to get out there, but it's hard. So I am just going to push through the best that I can. I am a recovering addict and I am very glad and very proud to say that in just a couple of months, I will celebrate 11 years clean. For a long time, I struggled with being able to say that out loud. Because there is so many people that look at addicts in a very negative way. And it was hard because I would try to talk to some people about it and explain that it is not a one-size-fits-all situation. That people don't just wake up one day and say, I want to be an addict. And for me, 
I did not even wake up one day and decide that I wanted to start using. It was something that was essentially forced on me through the sex trafficking. There were clients that would request that I be under the influence or sedated for sales. Sometimes I would be given medication just to stop me from being so defiant. But other times, the client's request would range anywhere from something just to calm my nerves to something as extreme as me being nearly unconscious. What exactly all the reasoning behind all of it was, I truly do not know. And to be quite honest, I don't want to. But at a very young age, I learned one of the scariest things in my life, and that was that the most painful things in life could be drowned away by drugs. And that was not a lesson that a child should ever have to learn. And it is also a very hard lesson to unlearn. When I was younger, they would use medications that they either blackmailed or tricked a psychiatrist into prescribing for me, or they would use over-the-counter medication. And that's something that has stuck with me even to this day. I can't take a lot of medications because something as simple as Tylenol can trigger a panic attack. They would give me things and tell me that it was just Advil for a headache, but it was something else. And I wish I could tell you what it was, but I don't know. And I think that they used those types of medication when I was younger because They didn't want anyone to see anything that might be able to be a red flag. So if I did speak up and say that they were giving me drugs and I was tested, nothing unusual would pop up in the drug test. And since some of the medications that were prescribed were some pretty heavy antipsychotics, they could keep the pretty picture that they painted about themselves, that they were these loving parents with an extremely mentally ill child, that they were going above and beyond to save maybe, I don't know if that's what they were doing it for, to be honest. But as I got older, it was a little bit harder drugs that they would use. With all the physical and sexual assaults, there was a lot of physical pain that I suffered. And they made sure that I was put on prescription medication for pain at a pretty young age. I was a teenager. While I was at the house where I had spoken about before, the one which they took my children from me and my two friends were killed in the accident while we escaped. The traffickers there made sure that 
I stayed physically dependent on these medications. And to be honest, I don't know if my parents supplied them or not. I just know that they would come in multiple times a day and administer them. They also used other drugs too. I think it was the same thing as when I was younger and it was at the client's request. Thinking back now that I am opening up about this, that probably played a huge part in why some days just seemed to merge together and also why my memories are just so incredibly fuzzy. I mean, the trauma did play a huge part, but I'm sure that this didn't help. After I escaped that house, the injuries were so severe from the accident. So again, I was put onto prescription pain medication and I never even saw the bottle of medication because my parents always administered it to me. And I wish I could say that I knew that they were doing it the way that it was prescribed, but I do not know. After all of that, and when my father was in prison, my uncle passed away, and I went to a really dark place. I did the only thing that I knew how to do to make everything go away, and I asked my mother for meds, and maybe that was a mistake, because looking back now, Maybe that is what gave them the idea that they could use this to control me. Because after that, they definitely did. In fact, around the same time, it's when they started buying me cigarettes because I wasn't old enough to buy them myself. And it's just crazy to sit here and think of all the different things that they used to keep me under their control. I mean, even the man that kidnapped me and trafficked me many years later used these same tactics. Control. It was always about control. And no matter what it did to me or no matter how old I was or anything like that, as long as they had their control, nothing else mattered. After I escaped my parents, I was able to keep my addiction under control for some time. I told myself that it wasn't my doing and I did not really need the meds and it was all just for the sales, that I was not an addict. I started to see some doctors about problems that I was having with my knees from being thrown down stairs and into walls and around rooms and just everything. I had a lot of problems and the doctors gave me medication for it, but I did not abuse them. I did not even take them as prescribed. In fact, I took less than what the doctor wanted me to. So I thought that I was doing okay. But then something happened. I can't share the details 
of what happened because they are not mine to tell. But it was so devastating to me. And the night that it happened, I was in an unbearable amount of pain emotionally. And it was also taking a toll on my body as well. I knew that my neighbor used, so I went next door and thought that I could do it just this once. I wanted to forget what happened. I wanted to forget who I was. And I wanted to forget that I even existed. I didn't want to die. I just wanted nothingness for just one night. And I got that. But I also got the realization that I was, in fact, an addict. And that as long as I would sit and hide behind the, well, they made me do it, I was never going to get better. And I was never going to change this part of my life. So I signed myself into rehab And it was very difficult. There was a lot of roles that I'm sure were very helpful for some people. But for me, they were so triggering. I was told what to eat, when to eat. I was even told what I was not allowed to eat because things like caffeine can bring on cravings. I was told what I could wear and what I could not wear, when I was allowed to take a shower, when I could go outside, when I could smoke a cigarette, when I was allowed to use the phone. It was just so incredibly controlling. And I get it. And I think that it is helpful for a lot of people to have that kind of structure. So you just don't have to think about anything but getting better. But for me, it was so much different because the controlled situation and the structure of it was triggering. It was also triggering talking about the addiction. It was a constant reminder of what had happened to me. Even cravings were triggering because it reminded me of all the times that I craved when I was with them. At this point in my life, the memories that I had were of what happened to me as an adult. And it wasn't just the sales. It was also things that my parents had done to me as well. I tried to get through a couple different inpatient programs, but they just were not for me. So I finally opened up to an old friend one that I have talked about before. And I asked if I could come stay with him so I could detox because I did not want to live my life like this anymore. I needed to get better so I could be better. And there was nothing that was holding me back there. My daughters were with their father. I had alienated most of my friends because of the addiction And I was in constant fear being that close to my parents. So the decision was the easiest one to make. 
So I got on a plane and I flew out to his new house. And the first couple of days I slept a lot. I kept a bottle of NyQuil and a bottle of Pepto next to me and just tried to sleep as much as I could. I could have gone and got medication to help with the withdrawal symptoms, but I just, I wanted to feel every excruciating moment that I could because I wanted to use that as a reminder so that way I would never use again because I would always remember how horrid it felt. And it worked because after that detox, I never used again. I eventually did leave his house because of personal reasons and I went to another state that I had a good friend that was in a very good program. This one was an intensive outpatient program. I was not locked inside the building day in and day out, but I would go for most of the day, three days a week. It was hard work, but extremely helpful. And it was a little less triggering because they didn't have those rules that were so hard for me and I wasn't being as controlled. But I think one of the biggest things that did help me was the AA meeting that I found. They told you that you should go to 30 meetings in 30 days to find your home meeting. And I found one that was every day at noon And I wish I could go back there and tell those people how much they saved my life because I don't think they ever truly knew. I can't share what happened at those meetings. That's why Anonymous is part of the name. But what I can say is I got so much love and support there and found a family that I never even knew existed And I never even knew that I needed. On my birthday that year, I got my 90-day chip. And it had taken an entire year for me to get 90 days in a row. And I was proud. And they were so proud of me. And they barely even knew me. But it was like we were all in it together. Whether we had known each other for two minutes or 20 years. We were all in it together. That 90-day chip I actually got exactly one year after I got my first white chip, which means essentially that I am surrendering my addiction to my higher power. In fact, while I was on the plane, I can remember just looking up and saying, It's in your hands. I can't do it on my own. I need you to do this with me. And I turned that 90-day chip into my 60-day, and then my one year, and then 18 months, and then two years, and so forth and so forth. And now I am nearly 11 years clean. And it is just the most surreal feeling in the world. I remember sitting in 
the meetings and listening to people stand up and say that they were one year clean or 10 years. And I would just think, wow, I don't think I'll ever get there, but I have, and I'm doing amazing. And I'm at the point where I actually refuse pain medication because I just don't want to take the chance. When your parents teach you at a young age, and I'm talking six and seven years old, that you can take something that will make your fears and pain go away, it takes a very long time to realize that that is not healthy behavior. And I did it for 20 years. But now as I sit here and I am writing out this episode, that tightness in my chest is starting to go away. And I'm learning new coping techniques on just about everything in my life. And I've learned that talking about it definitely is one of the best ways for me. Yes, sometimes it can be traumatizing, but in the end, it makes me feel more free than I did the first night when I was at the shelter to be able to open up and talk about everything that I had been through and to admit things out loud that I never wanted to share with anyone because I was so ashamed. And I know now that I don't have to be ashamed of anything. Because like I said in the last episode, it's all part of my story. And my story is a part of me. I wanted to make this episode because there are things, again, in a system that I see may fail sex trafficking victims and survivors. And it is the way that rehabs are structured. Now, I don't want to deter anyone from seeking help at those places because they do help a lot of people. But I just wish that there was another way that would be more specific to sex trafficking victims and survivors especially those who have recently escaped. I think taking those few months to detox and just being myself helped me a lot. And also doing the treatment as an outpatient program, as well as the AA meetings. I think all of it was just so helpful for me. But I'll be honest, I don't know if that's the answer for everyone. I don't have those answers, but it is one of those things that I feel like if I can push through and I can talk about what happened with me, other people might relate to it. And then maybe we can come together and try to find a system that works for everyone because right now it is definitely treated as a one-size-fits-all, but it is not that kind of situation. The biggest thing for me is I had to start to tell myself that I could not continue to blame them for my addiction. I had to take responsibility. 
I needed a program that understood that because that was not something that was easy for me to say to myself because of the situation that I was in. So to add to the list of places that I feel more training and awareness would help and also how to deal with victims and survivors of sex trafficking, I think we should add addiction counselors and rehabs to that list because some people do blame others for their addiction, but in our situation, there is a responsibility on the sex trafficker because I know some survivors that never in a million years would have ever touched a drug, but yet they had an, an addiction to one because of the sales. So if anyone has any ideas and would like to talk about their addiction problems, you can click the link tree in the description of this episode and even send me an email and maybe we can conquer this problem together. I'm also going to include in the description the addiction hotline. Never be afraid to call. Reaching out is always a sign of strength, not weakness. And we have to admit that we can't do it on our own sometimes. I have started a patron program for my podcast and I am not one to ask for money and I'm definitely not doing that now, but I have it there if someone wants to use it. I have paid for a lot of things when it comes to making this podcast and it is quite expensive. So if anyone wants to help out, it would be greatly appreciated. My husband is an amazing man and is so supportive in my journey with this podcast that he just does not care that I pay for it myself, but it would be helpful to have a little bit extra come in so I can pay for the subscriptions for the royalty-free music, this podcast site, and just everything that I use. If you go to my podcast website and my link tree, there'll be a button that says become a patron. I'm going to be doing some patron only material here in the future. And I have some pretty awesome stuff planned for that. Once I get everything together, I am still working on a blog site that I am going to be connecting to this podcast and it's going to have a lot of different things. Designing a website is not something fun to do. I'll tell you that right now, but I'm hoping to get it done soon. I'm going to be putting back up the Google Docs form that I had where you can share your story anonymously if you want to, because I think everyone deserves to have their story told. And if you want yours told, but don't want to be the one to share it, I would be honored to. But I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode and to anyone that has reached out to me. 
and would like to help me make a difference with this topic because I feel it is an extremely important one. It was not easy to make this episode. Like I said, I have deleted it multiple times. So as always, thank you for your continued love and support. You truly do not know how much it means to me. That is not something that I've had very often in my life. And I hope that we can do that for other victims and survivors as well.